This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Welcome to the Money Pot. I'm Cheryl Chen, head of content at Money 2020 Asia. For this series of the Money Pot, we will deep dive into the scary topic of career pivots. We speak to formidable women who have left their jobs to create their own fintech startups and discover the why behind what they do. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Cecilia Chu, the co-founder and CEO of Utrip. Utrip is a multi-currency travel wallet and money changer app. Prior to founding Utrip, Cecilia worked at City, overseeing growth investments in the technology and consumer sectors. Before that, Cecilia worked at McKinsey advising financial institutions across Asia on product and growth strategies. Joining me this week to explore this is none other than the engine behind MoneyPot, Rachel Morrissey, who is the head of content, USA, and also MoneyPot's executive producer. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. Rachel, have you done a career pivot before? I have, actually. This is actually career number three, but in my second career, I used to work with the uh, uh, sugar lobby in Washington, D.C., and then I pivoted to covering fintech. So I'm not sure quite how I I did that pivot, but yes, I have. I went from sugar to fintech. (laughs) That's a very sweet pivot. Anyway, we're so... (laughs) Nice. Very sweet. Anyway, we're so glad to have you with us. So let's dive into the conversation. Cecilia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what triggered the shift away from City into the startup world? Hi, um, Cheryl and Rachel. It's really uh, wonderful to be here. Um, And thank you for having me today. Um, To me, I think becoming um, an entrepreneur was a deeply personal choice. Um, I I remember when I was five, um, my my parents, one day, they they told me they decided to to leave their jobs and, and become an entrepreneur. Um, but they had no business training at all. Um, we don't even have much uh, life savings. Uh, my, my father had been a, a, a postman for quite many years and my mom was a kindergarten teacher. So, you know, they, they weren't from that business background. But, um, you know, observing and witnessing their, their journey, I would say they have shown me so much courage um, through those decades that they, they, they work as entrepreneurs. And and I think very importantly, they, they show me how to persist um, under extreme pressure. Uh, fast forward 20 years, um, you know, I had the opportunity to attend some of the best business schools. Um, I was um, a finance major at Warren, um, and subsequently I went to Harvard Business School for, for my MBA. Um, and I also, uh, on top of those, uh, I had the opportunity to be trained at some of the best firms, McKinsey, City. Um, as you mentioned. Um, so about 11, uh, 10 years ago, I, I asked myself, um, who am I if I don't uh, take some risk with my life, um, you know, given all these great training and backgrounds? That is actually pretty amazing. Um, I was thinking, uh, Cheryl, don't you guys always talk about the expectations of Asian parents? I mean, isn't this sort of a thing that you guys have where, uh, I mean, in the U.S., uh, there's a reputation of Asian parents 
especially moms, being a, a, a bit of tiger moms is what they call it, where they are just have really high expectations of their kids, give them a lot of training, give them a lot of opportunity, but there's really high expectations. Yeah, so we, we do have that um, in Asia that, that's seen actually quite frequently. And the thing is, Cecilia, um, because you managed to get to where you were, mm-hmm. where, where you are today, um, because of the hard work of your parents, they managed to put you through like business school, like fun- foundational studies, business schools, and then you managed to find yourself in, into such ex- established firms like City and McKinsey. And I think as your parents would have been so proud of you. So how is the conversation like uh, with them when you told them that, hey, mom, hey, dad, I, I know that I managed mm-hmm. to get myself into such established institutions, but I also want to do the thing that you guys did so many years ago to do my own thing now? That's a very great question. Um, you know, my, my parents um, knew entrepreneurship was very, very tough. They, they experienced it firsthand. Um, so I would say when I, when I told them, uh, hey, um, I'm, I'm leaving the corporate job and uh, go to strike out on my own now. And I, I would say they were not the most enthusiastic persons at first, um, to be most honest. Um, but my parents also know me uh, very well. Um, I'm terribly stubborn, uh, generally uh, determined, uh, which is a better word for it. Um, you know, I, I would say when I, when I set my mind on something, my, my parents also know that I'm going to stick with it. Um, and so I would say they, they were supportive. Um, and I very much remember the first day that I actually left uh, my finance job and really start, uh, you know, to be on my own and and really running my own company. Well, at that time, there was no company. Um, I remember my mom uh, came to me and and she said, you know, hey, uh, Cecilia, you know, this journey is going to be difficult and you are going to fail a couple of times before you get it. Um, But, uh, you know, one thing, when you fall, don't quit, double down. Um, frankly, I, I, I couldn't understand what she meant, you know, at, at that time, uh, early on in my journey, but I guess, uh, 10 years on, uh, having ran two company, um, on my own. And I, I think, I, I guess, I, I think I get, I, I could guess what, what she meant now. You know, that's a really interesting, I mean, I, I think it's kind of fascinating that your mom was like, you know, when you trip and fall down, uh, double down. Don't get scared. Don't run to first safety. Don't, you know, just get up, brush off your knees and do it again. It'll be, you know, it'll, it'll happen. That uh, is, is pretty fascinating because um, that was not the reaction of my parents. <laughs> and my parents are, are not sky high expectation parents. <laughs> they were a little bit like, are you sure you're not losing your, like, what are you doing? <laughs> So I under I, I can understand the fear of your parents. And I think this is sort of interesting because you obviously were well prepared to for this kind of pivot. I mean, I love the the stubborn determination coin, that streak uh that is definitely needed when you are being an entrepreneur. But I also think about uh transfer of skills. A lot of people thought my skills 
it's not easy to see how skills transfer. You are going from one thing to another. You're trying to uh, raise money or you're trying to build something. You have to convince people to work with you. There's all kinds of things that have to happen. And when I was transferring my skills, people were like, what could uh, working in Washington, D.C. in policy possibly have to do with you working in uh, fintech uh, conversations and media? Like, I don't understand where those connect at all. Um, and uh, so I was just thinking about this. When you look at your your experience in institutions, what kind of skills did you obtain, you know, working at City, working at McKinsey, this sort of translated into this, uh, you know, that translated into what you actually did uh, as you were starting off uh, in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting perspective. And, um, you know, when, when I think about my own journey, I think running a startup also has its phases, right? So when I think about the very, very early stage, um, you know, when we are just about a few people, less than 10 people, um, it, it's never about fancy presentations, PowerPoints, you know, big strategy talks, these things just don't work. And it's, at those times, it's really just about, you know, keeping your heads down uh, day in, day out. You try to get something going and uh, believing that you will get somewhere someday. Um, but I would say when the company actually started to scale, when it started to grow, um, naturally, the organization becomes much more complex. And I think those big company experience really comes in handy because, you know, you have seen how very large scale, complex organization um, spreading across multiple continents and countries, how they organize their teams, their people, their work, their business lines, their PNL. And I think having seen that would really allow the entrepreneur, say, at my stage to backward engineer some of these processes and policies into our own organization and really guide us to design our own roadmap on that growth trajectory. So I thought um, some of these experiences is actually extremely helpful, um, but uh, more helpful in the growth stage uh, than the very, very early days. That's really interesting because um, when we talk about transferable skills, bringing your experience from one company to the other, we also have to talk about baggage, right? Because people, we do come with um, skill sets, habits that we need to unlearn when moving from one place to the other. So what were some things that like skills, habits that you had to unlearn from when you were in City, when you were in McKinsey? to when you were starting your own companies? I think the biggest thing um, at that time was strategic thinking and execution, not the same thing. They're easily mixed up. Um, and, you know, the distinction is not so clear at the outset. Um, if you think about a professional um, consultant or, or banking professional, we are very analytical. Um, our strength is generally in analytics, strategic thinking, but that is not execution. And in the early days, that's, you know, most of the time what you do. So I think distinguishing the two um, was my biggest unlearning I need to do in the early days. Um, but the good news is as you actually scale the business, your strategic thinking is so critical. You can no longer rely on just yourself 
uh, implementing new things to make it work for a large organization and growing organization. So I think, you know, it's a really interesting startup journey where I discovered that the tool sets that I collect through the different points in my life would actually connect the dots on its own. Sorry, I just wanted to double click on your the point you made about strategic thinking versus execution, because sometimes we do think a bit too much, we overthink, and then we start thinking to a point where we basically fail to execute. We want to think to a point, how can I do this, that this is perfect? So um, do you have like a story to share, an example to share where you had to just go ahead to execute without reaching perfection first? Well, you, you actually hit it uh, right on. I think it's not going for the perfection. Um, strategic thinking um, in, in nature is really about being comprehensive. Um, and, you know, you have think through all the different options and you pick the best one. It's really about perfection. Um, but execution is not. It's really about action. It's really about taking that action, even though knowing it's not perfect. Um, and you may need to fix things along the way, but you want to do it first. So I think you got it right. Um, you know, to me, that's the biggest uh, distinction. You know, that's so interesting because I was thinking about how in large organizations, you have to kind of make room for how other people are thinking. And when it's your own venture, I think you kind of feel a little bit of ownership. This is going to be the way I want it to be. But as you grow again, uh, if you've got the right people, then you have to reassess and make space for them to contribute. And, And that is a different kind of strategic thinking that isn't necessarily in that that's what I think that's why you see so many startup people who are very good at like launch and they'll get to a certain place and then they find that they're not actually the founder to continue the journey. And then you see other ones that that's the place where they can really take over because they understand that second phase of the business or you do see certain entrepreneurs that come and they go, oh, I I know how to pivot my role so that I'm back to exercising a little less uh, micromanagement and a little more macro thinking and macro strategy. So when you were were thinking about this as you guys grew, um, obviously you guys had probably a couple of different flubs as your mom's anticipated you probably bruised your knees a few times here and had a few a few nice little things called failures learning experiences um so are there any uh that you would you would think about now and you're like I'm so glad that I failed there because I learned so much that it actually contributed more to the success um because I failed because I screwed up I actually learned so much I now understand something I, I could never have understood a different way. Yeah. Well, as I, uh, as I shared earlier, um, YouTube is actually my second startup. Um, the first one uh, was something I did about uh, 10, 11 years ago. It was plain vanilla um, e-commerce. Um, uh, but, you know, I work very hard at it. I, I, at least I put in 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week. And, you know, we stay put for two years. Um, so 
I think um, there are the learnings there um, that really drives us to build U-Trip the way it is. And um, my biggest learning there was don't do something that is easy to do. Um, and I think uh, at that time, uh, when we started um, the e-commerce website, uh, you know, that space was already very mature. Um, it has been around for 20 years. Um, and also the entry barrier was very low. So when we had any meaningful traction, uh, we see copycats left and right. It was actually difficult to succeed uh, when you do something easy to do. And I thought that was one of the uh, counterintuitive points that we took with us uh, when we started Utrip this time on. Uh, FinTech, as you know, has to um, navigate the complex um, uh, compliances, regulatory uh, licensing landscape, along with technology and also the changing um, customer behavior. So um, choosing something difficult to do um, real make us realize, actually, this is the place we wanted to be. Well, I think the other part of that is, is that, uh, so in the e-commerce space, you were doing something that you kind of understood was possible. But you weren't necessarily solving a problem for anybody because it was a more mature space. That problem had been solved for a lot of people. And then as soon as you kind of did make headway into a problem, like you said, there were copycats everywhere because you're like, oh, it's easy. Uh, this isn't a hard problem to solve. Fintech problems, and especially the one that you've got solved with Utrip, they tend to be hard to solve and they tend to be real problems which are always harder to solve. And so I think that that's really interesting because you're like, no, I need to find a, I, I need to find an actual problem that, uh, and I, that I, and, and then actually solve it. And then, and then this will fly. I think that that's kind of entrepreneur 101. If you could just say, well, let's, let's look for a real problem. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I, I think that was really a great insight. Um, we yeah then then we realized we really love uh, solving tough problems um, and uh, you know for for both my co-founder and myself we actually spent a lot of time in China so six seven years ago that was where we were working uh, we were working in some fintechs in China and of course both of us spent a lot of time in the U S uh, for our education uh, for part of our work experience um, but we love working in Southeast Asia. Um, I remember uh, when we first came up with the idea of Utrip, uh, we were both uh, working in China. My my co-founder was working at Tencent, uh, the super app uh, the super app WeChat, um, and for myself, I was working at a retail uh, personal finance platform called Lufax. Uh, it's now listed in the U.S. Um, at that time, we saw all people and all businesses already using mobile phones to manage money exclusively. Um, and that was China at that time. Uh, it was really ahead of many other economies. Um, you know, but having uh, experienced our first startup uh, where we felt, um, you know, our dream is to be the first mover in a space. We would much rather be early uh, than being late. Um, at least for once. So that's why we moved to Singapore. We love Southeast Asia. Um, you know, the, the multi-currency, the ethics uh, problem is much more relevant here um, because how fragmented this region actually is. And we saw how this multi-currency problem is so much more 
um, profound compared to places like the U.S. where you can use U.S. dollars and you basically can grow your business uh, just operating in one currency and same uh, with renminbis in China and to some extent um, euros uh, in, in Europe. And um, here we need to keep uh, changing and using and tracking the rates for different currencies from time to time. And I thought that was really a a tough problem to solve, but one that is extremely deep and one that is worth solving. Uh, so we moved to Singapore and, um, you know, be based here and, and started a business from here about uh, five, six years ago. You know, I really, really love it because you talked about looking for hard things to solve. You really wanted to like look for problems to solve. And then you went to Southeast Asia, insanely fragmented, so many regulations, so many various currencies. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to do a multi-currency wallet. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. To, uh, nice hard problem to solve. <laughs> I sometimes wonder, like, when you're thinking about that, uh, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Southeast Asia where, as Cheryl pointed out, uh, regulatory uh, differences are, are not small uh, or easy to navigate and where you are dealing with lots of different currencies in a pretty, in a relatively small geographical area. Uh, and um, and I'm I was thinking about, like, what did you like? What became kind of the um, the central knot? What was the the idea that was like, oh, there's a way to kind of pick this knot uh, and kind of get to the guts of this that makes this uh, highly usable. Like, what was it about a wallet? What was it about the nature of that to solve help solve the problem? I'm always curious about how entrepreneurs think in a different, you know not even outside of the box, but just even in the box, how they redraw things. I think there are a couple of lessons that, um, you know, I, I learned personally when I was uh, running the fintech product, actually in China uh, years ago. There are a couple of things, uh, a few of the philosophies that really resonate with me. Um, I was the head of product strategy. So uh, what I do day in and day out is to study these uh, fintech products across different companies. And what stood out to me was the central theme at that time was really about serving the everyday customers. Um, I remember I was told why Ant Financial was called Ant was because it is there to serve these hardworking um, everyday customers. And it really resonated with me just, you know, the way I was brought up, um, where I was, you know, certainly in the mass market segments. And I always felt the banks, um, you know, do not build a lot of products for me when I was growing up. And what some of these fintech has shown me how to do is, you know, you can actually develop a business model, uh, sustainable, profitable, and you can serve these uh, everyday segment very well. The product is extremely easy to use. And I think the definition of intuitive product is one where you do not require any instructions. You do not need to teach them how to use. Somebody open the app would naturally know how to, how to use it. And they make sure the ticket size is always very small and very accessible. Uh, you can invest, you can insure yourself, you can pay somebody as little as one yuan. Uh, or even less. And I think we really took some of these lessons when we 
started Utrip, we aim to be a mass market focused product where, you know, no matter how much or how little money you can show in your account, we always treat you all the same. Always the best product, always the best price point. And I think that is, you know, a mission that resonates with many people in the community. And I think the love for our product and the love for our brand really starts growing from there. That's, yeah, love, I, I really, really love it too. And also the idea of building for the people. I really, really love the mission. So um, as we begin to wrap it up, maybe one last question could be, uh, Cecilia, what's your advice for other fintech um well, it doesn't have to be fintech, right? For people who are also considering a s- similar career pivot or are cont- contemplating launching their own fintech startup, what is one piece of advice you would offer? Yeah, well, as I as I reflect on my, my own journey, um, I think Utrip is a story about never stop believing. We have gone through some, uh, you know, very volatile times uh, over the last five years since launching the product. Uh, you know, right after 2019, we have had almost two and a half years of COVID uh, hitting us. And right after that, we have the funding winter. We have the high interest rate. We have, you know, tough capital markets. Um, but I think this is the journey. The journey is not meant to be easy. So I would encourage uh, all fellow entrepreneurs uh, to keep going, no matter what is to come. Um, and ultimately, I believe as long as you don't give up, you will eventually all become very successful. Yeah, I I love that. But wow, what a time to launch. (laughs) What a time to launch (laughs) right before a pandemic. And then... I, I know I we're still allowed to yeah. say the P word on here, um, but right for a pandemic, and then uh, and then into the uh, into the maelstrom that followed it. <laughs> How fun is that? Wow, that's impressive yeah. that you were able to just yeah. deal with just that. The outside. Uh, world was was challenging enough. Uh, I think startups are hard when when conditions are lovely. Um, so that is a particularly brave and uh, actually really impressive. I'm really, I'm really glad that so impressive. Yeah. and also despite the funding winter, actually, Utrip recently just closed a funding round as well. Yeah, yeah, extremely impressive. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, congratulations. And that's it. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> okay. That's it for this episode of The Money Pot. We want to thank Cecilia for gracing our show today. If you want to hear more from Cecilia, Cecilia will be speaking at Money 2020 Asia in April at Bangkok, Thailand. We hope to see you there. You can be part of The Money Pot at The Money 2020 Show. Please send us pitches to podcast at money2020.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. We love our fintech nerds.